0: Welcome in. Today it is Chris Parliament and Ross Levitan with this week's first installment of Locked On Senators, brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Lots to talk about on today's show, including teeing up tonight's game against the Wings, a Senators spin on the Hockey Hall of Fame festivities, and the second edition of Bottom Feeders. On Saturday night, Jack Eichel absolutely torched the Senators and it does not get any easier against a top line in Detroit tonight.
1: No, it doesn't. I mean, this trio of Dylan Larkin in between Tyler Bertuzzi and Anthony Manta, they've been red hot all year. They even they started the season probably better than than anybody in the league. And then in the last five games, 16 points, the three have combined for. I was going to say they're the real reason why Detroit's not at the bottom of the standings, but uh, they still find
0: themselves there. (laughs) Yeah, it's not been a good start for them at all. But yeah, I got to say, I was not one to buy into the Anthony Manta hype, but he had a great world championship at the end of last season, and everyone was saying, hey, he's going to do it again this year. Didn't think there was enough around him, but yeah, as you mentioned, this top line of Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Manta, they've been tough to contain. Much like it was tough to contain Jack Eichel the other night, he had four goals, and it was JG Pajot. We've talked about him having a great plus-minus off the top of the season but he wore the minus four. He was on for every goal against Jack Eichel that night, which is not a good sign for the Sens quote unquote shutdown unit.
1: No, but he's still going to get the opportunity to go up against the Larkin line tonight. And why wouldn't you trust a, a defensively responsible center like Paggio? The thing about this Larkin line is they can beat you in so many different ways. Larkin with his speed. Manta's a huge body with great hands. And then Bertuzzi's kind of the, the water bug on the line. He's not afraid to go into the corners and really kind of create havoc, uh, especially down low. So you got to watch out. They can beat in so many different ways. And they've clearly been doing that, as we mentioned, how they're doing over the past five games.
0: Almost look like a little bit of a poor man's Boston top unit. You kind of got that scrappy guy, a good two-way guy, and then a goal scorer, and then as well. But another thing that is going to go up against them tonight is Connor Brown riding on the wing of J.G. Pajot's line there. And going back to that New Jersey game where the Senators won, it was just kind of a stalemate for the first couple periods, and it really looked like Brown and Pajot were kind of too much of the same on that line together, and they were playing maybe the same style of game and weren't accenting each other well. So do you think that that maybe that that is something that Senators need to look at moving forward, or do you think they're starting to figure each other out and the speed's working out well together? Well, what I like
1: about the Sens line combinations right now, and I think it's the first time you can say it in a long time, is that there's a 11, I would say, maybe even 12 NHL-caliber forwards. Yeah. So it's a good problem to have when you see Chris Tierney being on the fourth line. I've loved what Schlappick brought. We mentioned that in the last show, um, how I like having him on the fourth line. Pilsy yeah. was saying that, He thinks that if he's not playing higher up in the lineup, maybe he should be still in Belleville. I think he spent his time in Belleville. Let him play on the fourth line. Let him experience uh, NHL hockey on a day-to-day basis because the more comfortable he gets, the better he's going to be. Saw the game-winner against Philly, and now playing with Tierney, and it's going to be Max Verono making his season debut. Guy had six points in 14 games last year after he uh, was signed after his uh, collegiate career finished at Princeton. I think that's going to be a trio to watch tonight, but to get back to your initial question, Connor Brown and being on that top line with Pajot and, and Nick Paul, another surprise uh, of the season. I think you keep everything just the way it is for now, because I wouldn't want to disrupt the chemistry on the other lines. Love the, the Logan Brown in between Brady, Kachuk and Duclair Brown and Duclair starting to build some chemistry there. Brady can play with anybody. Um. So yeah, I think you just leave it, let it ride a little bit, and you know what? We might have been a little hard on the Red Wings. They did go through a one eleven and one stretch, but they've got points in five straight, three zero and two record over that span.
0: Yeah, they've definitely been hot lately. And I guess if once you get one line going, that that's kind of steering the ship right now. Going back to that Brown line too. Again, in that New Jersey game, it seemed a little stale, but now you're starting to see maybe the guy that. Led the WHL in scoring when he was in junior hockey. And he he's a guy that can make plays with the puck. And playing with Pajot, maybe his defensive responsibilities dwindle a little bit. And he's able to play up the ice with it a little bit more. Now, playing up the ice is something definitely can help your goalie as well. Playing on a power play can definitely help as well, too. The Senators finally getting some goals going tonight. Entering Detroit for the first time with power play goals in consecutive games. And a uh, little thing that helps out, Ross, Detroit. Worst penalty kill in the league. Yeah, that does help, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> what
1: I like about the power play, and I don't think it's a coincidence that these two goals have been the two games now that Logan Brown's been back and, and actually been given an opportunity um, to to set up on the half wall. He's very spetsa esque in the sense that he's such a big body. He's got a long stick, so he can change the angles. As we saw in, in his setup on, on Duclair's goal the other night, he sold the shot so well, the goalie has to respect the angle he's creating far to the short side, so he created so much space, there's no chance he was getting over there when Brown found the seam to do Claire. Love that unit, and I mean, is Tyler Ennis a power play specialist? Is is this going to fetch the sends? Maybe, like, I don't want to get crazy, like a third or fourth rounder at the deadline here, because he he seems like he's not afraid to get to the front of the net, we know that, but Great hand eye on the on the goal on Hainsey's shot. And you know what? More I see him on the power play, I think that uh, he's going to be a valuable piece for somebody going forward.
0: Absolutely. It's that combination of that like quick twitch and his speed. He almost looks like a Tasmanian devil out there because he's constantly changing angles, spinning around and stuff like that. And I think the power play is the best spot for him because he's given that extra space. He's not getting mauled by that fifth guy on the ice. So if you give him that extra room, he's able to make things happen a little bit easier. Going back to what you are saying about Brown working on the sidewall as well, it just helps out the cycle that much more. And I talked about it in one of the shows I did last week when I was by myself, how much he adds to it. So Ross, you joked a little bit before getting on air. It's tough to say that a guy without an NHL goal is the guy to answer the question on the power play. But do you think this is kind of the sign of things to come, him playing on that top unit and the sense getting a little traction on the power play? Well, yeah, he's done it his whole life at, at every level. So why
1: not the NHL as well? It's it's almost the same situation as Philip Slapik. But a bit younger, a bit less experienced because he's had those injuries that have limited him to only what 30 OHL games in his last year before turning pro. Yeah. played 56 games, but still had two spells there where he was injured uh, during his his rookie year in Belleville. and then I mean, now he's this will be his ninth NHL game tonight. Actually, he played four in his first year before he was sent back down. So 13, I guess, but over a span of three years. So I think now with, with the three assists and six six games uh, so far this season, he, he's a guy who relies heavily on his confidence. If he's feeling it, he's going to be playing well. But the second that it starts going in the other direction is when you have to worry about whether he's moving his feet and whether he's doing those little things that... that can create confidence similar to Bobby Ryan in a way. I feel like when Bobby's feeling Yikes. it, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, when he's feeling it, yeah. um, but not to compare those two players very much more than that. But yeah, I, I think that he's a guy who's put up points, like I said, at every level. So, I think that as he gets comfortable in the NHL, you can expect him to continue to produce. And once I think that once the first goal goes in, we're going to see a few more in quick succession.
0: Yeah, I think so as well. And you mentioned Philip Schlappic. I definitely think that there's way more high end skill there. The ceiling's a lot higher with uh, Logan Brown, just in the sense that he's able to do a lot more things, uh, maybe in a skill game. Put in a situation where he's got the one on one talent, whereas slapic relies on skill to, or sorry, speed to kind of push the pace five on five. But Going back to Logan Brown, he's saying he's getting a little more comfortable in the NHL and stuff like that. I agree with you. He looked like he was being a little more physical in the last game as well, kind of throwing his body around, getting into a little stuff after the play. So definitely getting more comfortable in his own game, but I think he's starting to get comfortable beside Duclair and Kachuk because if you go back to even that Philadelphia game, we're talking about goal number one, he rung it off the post. So do you think that's kind of going to be the mainstay? I mentioned again back in a solo show that that's where I wanted him. Let Colin White play with another couple guys, try and get them going, which is right now Tyler Ennis and Vladislav Nemestikov so do you think that's where Brown should stay for the foreseeable future yeah definitely I think the less you tinker
1: with these lines the more chemistry you're able to develop if they're not going for one game it's not like playoffs are are the end goal this season so it's just a matter of making sure that you're building a team chemistry and the guys are getting more and more comfortable so I would I would love to see them stay together at least the next 10 games here maybe even through the new year and then you know what? You can reassess at that point. Uh, of course, we have no idea about the health of Artem Nisimov. Uh Scott Sabrain, we mentioned the last show that he's back working out, hasn't started skating yet, but until there's decisions that have to be made on those guys, with the current 12-13, I guess, with Verona up and Bobby kind of in and out of the lineup, it seems like Bodker just disappeared. Uh, I don't know if we'll even see him <laughs> in another game this season, but uh, with, the, with the healthy bodies they have, especially up front, uh, I would love t- for this to remain the same. Uh, if if we should kind of move to the back end though, because that's where I've got some, uh, I don't want to say issues. How many games are we going to let Eric Brandstrom? He he's already been a healthy scratch once, uh, tonight he will be a healthy scratch again. At what point are you like, man, let's just put this guy down and, and let him really start to feel the puck again. He has had a few good games, especially recently. I was almost surprised at the, uh, the healthy scratching for
0: tonight do you think well, the first night kind of a of back to sure? back, you got to think, right? Yeah, if, I guess. But if you're looking for an excuse, I think that's the one you're going to use if you're DJ Smith. I mean, I don't like that he's being healthy scratched. I think you got to have a, a definite position on this. But I guess you could say DJ Smith has a position by going to him and saying, Hey, it's not because of your play you're out of the lineup. I want you to go up and see the game from a different level. I liked that the first time. I, I believe Long Island was when he didn't play against uh, the Islanders there. But yeah, I, I mean, If you want this guy to be a puck possession, push-the-pace offensive defenseman, you're not really giving him the opportunity to do so. I like that he's been matched up with Ron Hainsey a little bit, because that can be kind of the anchor, and he can have a little bit of a longer leash, but again, if he's not getting it done, came close in Philadelphia, he was standing on the doorstep, kind of right at the hash marks, had a wide-open opportunity, kind of a bouncing puck, obviously it was stopped, he still doesn't have a goal, but I think he's knocking on the door, and I don't know, you mentioned it about Logan Brown waiting for that first one to go in. I think it's going to be the same thing with Eric Branstrom.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of the, the easy move if you do want to get Cody Goluboff back in the lineup too because none of the other D are, you're going to scratch, right? They're all either veterans or they're Thomas Shabbat. So it's exactly. just kind of the, the easy play is to say, hey, Eric, you know what? Go sit up, see what it's like up there. I, I only disagree with it because I thought he's finally finding a rhythm, especially yeah. offensively. For the first maybe 15 games, 12 to 15 games I felt he was really just surviving when you want your young players At to seven fly. minutes a night yeah exactly so I feel like the more and more he's been getting comfortable I mean it's the same story for a lot of the guys on the team you have to put them in again and again and again let them make their mistakes on the fly And that's one way that they can kind of build build it up here but I don't know I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over him being taken out of the lineup I just find it a little odd that uh, they wouldn't just say, you know what, go quarterback the power play in Belleville. Go put up
0: some serious points. From Detroit to Toronto, your neck of the woods, Ross. Lots going on there with the Hockey Hall of Fame ceremonies going on. And a tweet from you on the Locked On Centers podcast, or sorry, account. If you don't follow it, at Send Central, go give us a follow there. But you tweeted out, and it got some attention, 85 likes, a little humble brag there. About the possibility of next year, two former Senators going into the Hall of Fame together. We talked about big lines, obviously, in the first segment with Detroit's going to bring to the lineup tonight. But if you're talking big lines and sense history, these two, Daniel Alfredson and Marion Hosa, could potentially go into the Hall together next year. Alfie It'll be his fourth chance, and his first time on the ballot.
1: Well, Marion hosts. I'll start with him, because there is no way that he gets passed up on his first opportunity. Five Stanley Cup finals in eight years, three championships, and if you don't remember the story, I'm sure most of our listeners do, that he went to the finals with Detroit, lost to Pittsburgh, went back. Or was it the other way around? No, it was. So he went to the Cup final in 08 with Pittsburgh, lost to the Red Wings, signed with the Red Wings in the offseason, went back and lost to Pittsburgh. That's a heartbreaking story. You thought it was just a tragic ending. Nope. Goes to Chicago the next year and wins the whole thing. So that was kind of the start of the the second part of Marion Host's illustrious career cuz I mean even when he was drafted with the Ottawa, by the Ottawa Senators, you knew they had a star in the making. So it's kind of a shame that it uh, it had to take a winding road away from the Senators for him to really su- supplant himself as a hall of famer whereas Alfie I mean he's going to be the first like actual senator
0: yeah should to go in the Hall of Fame. And you mentioned him going with to back-to-back cup finals with the opposite teams and losing the old if-you-can't-beat-em, beat them, join them, did not really work out for him there. You mentioned his three cups. Another couple things on his resume, though. 500-goal club, 1,000-point club, an eight-time 30-goal scorer. We talk about James the Real Deal Neil putting up 30 goals for consecutive seasons. Marion Hosa eight times, that's very impressive. Cool stat for you, though, Ross. Tied for 27th all-time with current Hall of Famer Clark Gillies. 85 career game-winning goals.
1: Jesus.
0: That's putting it away when it counts.
1: Is it ever? I mean, Alfie's got a nice 69 game-winning goals. He, my One of my favorite Alfie stats, other than just the consistency, this guy led his team in scoring as a rookie and in his final year as a 41-year-old. So I think that's just a model of consistency. 13 seasons, he had 20 or more goals as well. So, uh, I mean, just... Hall of Fame person internationally as well. You look yeah. at what he did for Team Sweden, getting that gold medal in 06. That's why I really don't like the argument when people say that Alfie didn't win a cup because I think if you ask most players, a gold medal is, is right there neck and neck if you ask them. What the more prestigious uh, honor is?
0: Absolutely, and it's the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's not the National Hockey League Hall of Fame, and it's important to remember. And when he won that gold medal in two thousand six with Team Sweden, he led the team in scoring as well. So it wasn't like he was flying on the on the coattails of some other unbelievable talent that Sweden had there. But when you lead they, your team, they had the all captain line, eh? Yeah,
1: they, it was. <laughs> I think it was Marcus Naslin with Sundin and Alfredson as one of their lines. Could have put
0: Forsberg <laughs> another captain. Um, yeah. on that one, too, all team Canada captain or Canadian team captains, as well. A little uh thing to mention there, but yeah, you you mentioned he led the team in scoring with 61 points in his rookie year, as many Sens fans know. He won the Calder that year. Um, another couple trophies he won, not major trophies. You mentioned he didn't ever win a cup, but he won the King Clancy Award for his leadership on and off the ice and in the community, so big time guy for the Sens around, and then he won the Mark Messier Award in 2013 for leadership as well. So you already said Marion Hosa, first ballot guy, I agree with you. Lots going on on his hockey resume, but do you think year number four is the one for Alfredson? We have to start the campaign because Daniel Alfredson
1: is a Hall of Famer. I don't see it any other way. You know what? Fire up the campaign. I know Pierre Lebrun's been vocal about that uh, on Leafs Lunch, which was good to hear him uh, on, on the Maple Leaf show. Give a little love to, <laughs> to Alfie. So, um, no, I I want to say it's just a matter of time, but the time is now. Put Daniel Alfredson where he belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame.
0: And I think a lot of people outside of the game look at a guy like Daniel Alfredson and say, yeah, I never won a cup. He played an impressive amount of games. He had a lot of points. I don't know if he's Hall of Fame material. But then you talk to the guys in the game. You mentioned Pierre Lebrun, but then Brian Burke on Sportsnet has mentioned many times that he loves Daniel Alfredson and hockey guys all love Daniel Alfredson because of what he brought to the game again, going back to his leadership. So I agree with you. And I think this is the year we will see it happen. Now we said in the opening that we have our second edition of the new segment bottom feeders for you today. But if we're looking at draft picks, I think today of all days when the Sens are playing the wings, it'll be a little bit of fun. We'll poke some fun at wings fans here to look back at the last time the Sens and the wings drafted close together that was when the Sens took Brady Kachuk over Philip Zadina. A lot of people, maybe people on the podcast as well, wanted Philip Zadina. Ross, did you want Zadina when he was taken? Uh, no comment. <laughs> but if you're looking back on it, it's it's a win for the Senators taking Brady Kachuk at four.
1: Yeah, it was a huge win no matter how you look at it. I think you can even make the argument that Brady Kachuk should have been taken third the way uh, yes Barry Kotkaniemi's played this season with only three points. Although... Sens fans weren't interested in Kotkaniemi. It was (laughs) Philip Zadina or Brady Kachuk. People have thrown in the towel on Philip Zadina, I think a little too quickly. Um, He had a slow start to his AHL career, and then also this season uh, really struggled out of the gate, but he's uh, he's been playing a lot better now. But, I mean, Brady just brings all the tangibles that you want in a star hockey player, a leader.
0: I mean, it couldn't have gone any better for the Ottawa Senators taking Brady Kachuk. Just to put this into perspective, Brady Kachuk, 91 games played as we speak in the National Hockey League with 56 goals and 92 penalty minutes. Love to see that number up there. Philip Zadina, nine games played, three points. Obviously, he's spent a lot of time in the AHL, but as you mentioned, he's red hot lately. I think we said six points in his last four games, which is pretty impressive. He's got 11 points in 16 games, but yeah, nonetheless... Always fun to look back on it when the Sens did something right because that hasn't happened too often lately. But as we look into the past, we'll look into the future as well with our second edition of the award-winning bottom feeders segment. Ross, it's pretty obvious who number two is. He was the 2018 first overall pick in the OHL, and it was hard for Sudbury to miss him at six foot four, 215 pounds. Quinton Byfield. Yeah,
1: Quinton Byfield. He's. Can you just picture the Sen's top two lines having Logan Brown at six seven on one, and then Quinton Byfield? Man, this guy's seventeen years old. He's two hundred and fifteen pounds, like already built like a truck, and he's got soft hands. Did you see? I don't even know who they were playing, but Sudbury's game the other day it was like eleven ten, and at yeah. one point it was eight one. Like, what an absolute entertaining game. Uh, That must have been for everyone in attendance. But just to go back, I'm kind of mad at Craig Button because he threw me under the bus on live radio last week. (laughs) Um, But we'll read out. This is what Button had to say about Byfield. Combines athleticism with power, makes defending him a very difficult task, has soft hands like Evgeny
0: Malkin, and may have the biggest upside of any player in the draft. That's pretty high praise. Putting you a guy think? beside of Guinea Melkin, but I mean, if you're looking at comparables, and that's why I have mentioned it before on this podcast, why I like Craig Button so much—he's not afraid to make player comparables, and I love a good player comparable. If you're seeing that kind of size and skill blended together and a lot of times you can say size and skill but you mentioned it 215 pounds as a 17 year old that's absolutely absurd i think we saw his hands put on full display when he was wearing an under 17 jersey this summer for team canada and he went between the legs from we'll call it brady kachuk's office beside the net on the power play pass was from none other than the first player we featured in bottom feeders alexi lafreniere but back to byfield He picked the puck up and went between the legs and threw it upstairs from about three feet in front of the net. I mean, if he's going to bring that kind of size and skill to the game, uh, I think he would look good in the Sens uniform, especially the way DJ Smith has the team playing right now.
1: Not to be a hot take machine, but I would almost take him above Lafreniere just because I think center's obviously the most important position on the ice outside of your goaltender. And I think you have to have an elite, elite number one centerman to compete in the National Hockey League. I think Lafreniere... If I'm not mistaken, he plays center in uh, in junior, but projects to be more of a left-wing type yeah. player. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, you need to take the center, even if you have number one overall pick.
0: Yeah, lots of talent. Everybody knows that of this 2002 born draft, Bob McKenzie saying that Lafreniere is probably your number one guy right now. He's not going to run away with it all season, especially with the way Quentin Byfield's playing 44 points in 23 games played so far, which is pretty ridiculous. There's a few scouts that are saying that Byfield's kind of nipping at the heels and he's the only one that's in the same class as Lafreniere. And I wouldn't be surprised if we had a Nolan Patrick, Nico Heischer situation where Nolan Patrick was kind of the consensus number one guy all year long. And then Nico Heischer hops out there and takes first overall. And uh, now we've seen what he's done in New Jersey. As I digress, Nolan Patrick's had some injury problems. But yeah, Quinton Byfield definitely nipping at the heels for number one. And it's going to be fun to see what he's able to do all year long. Now draft eligible guys, maybe not the easiest make the lineup for the world juniors but these two guys will definitely be pushing the pace for that lafreniere already on the team last year and i mean the way he's playing this year it's hard to say no for quentin byfield to join the team on boxing day as well that wraps up our second edition of bottom feeders and it wraps up your tuesday edition of locked on senators from ross levitan i'm chris parliament this is your daily source for senators content and we'll see you tomorrow